Hello, and welcome back to the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. I have Lisa back on. She's been on in the past, so I will tag that episode down below if you want to go listen to that first episode. But in this episode, we are talking about emotional eating. And if you don't know Lisa, she is a holistic nutritionist with a background in teaching yoga and personal training. She helps women break up with the all-or-nothing dieting cycle and show them the simplest, no-nonsense way to maintain healthy weight without willpower, deprivation, or spending countless hours on the treadmill. Welcome back, Lisa. Hi, thank you so much for having me and inviting me to the podcast. Yes, I'm excited to talk about emotional eating and specifically why, or I guess to start us off, why do we feel so out of control around food? So many of my clients specifically say things like, I try not to buy chips or cookies because if they're in the house, I will just eat the whole thing. If I'm around it, I will eat the whole bag they always say they have no self-control, so oftentimes they just won't buy it. So why do we feel so out of control around specific foods? Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question. I I think the way I want to navigate this question is I want to kind of talk a little bit about emotional eating itself first, and then I'll kind of unpack it a little bit more. Emotional eating is a behavior. And this is such an important distinction to make because any behavior that we do is an action. But what I hear so often is I'm an emotional eater. And what that ends up becoming is an identity when we say I am an emotional eater versus it being the behavior. And when you call yourself an emotional eater, you're identifying yourself with that behavior. It actually ends up making it a lot harder to work with the challenge and what that challenge really is. And it's so much more gentle on your mind and your soul when you acknowledge that it's something that we are doing, not who we are at the core. And so it really means there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with who you are. You're not broken. Um, The problem that you might be experiencing is an unwanted behavior that is the emotional eating. So what you said, you know, I feel so out of control with food. I hear this a lot too. And what it is, is it's a mentality of if if it's not in the house, then I won't be tempted to eat it. So I just won't buy it, (laughs) which in theory sounds like it would work. But what happens, what happens when you go somewhere and chips and cookies are available in large quantities, right? You go to an event or you go to a family function. Wouldn't you want to be in a place where you trust yourself so much around any kind of food, be it chocolate covered almonds, be it pizza? You know, if we zoom out, the problem here is in the lack of trust in ourselves. And what I'm about to say might sound a little bit backwards from a weight loss perspective, but hear me out (laughs) just for a second. Allowing yourself to have that food in your house actually allows you to build trust in yourself with that food. What I've seen is when there is rigid food rules and restrictions and we're restricting ourselves from being around cookies then at some point you're going to be exposed to cookies and you're going to crave them in larger quantities than if you were to be exposed to them in smaller amounts over time. So if a client tells me that, you know, chips 
are irresistible and they can never just have three chips. It's all or nothing, right? It's three chips or it's the whole bag. I'm, you know, my objective as a coach is to bring this client to a place where they can be around any type of food, whether it's inside their house or out at a restaurant, at events, and really just be in complete control rather than the food controlling them. And I do have a strategy if you would like me to share it with you. (laughs) Yes, that was going to be my next question is how on earth do we trust ourselves and allow these foods into our house then without going crazy? Yeah, yeah. So it is a practice. It's not something that you do once and hey, problems fixed. We're all good to go. It is a practice and um, it is a form of exposure therapy. So I invite the client or I invite your listeners, if there is a food, let's just use chips because that's what we were talking about before. Um, have three chips and then walk away for 20 minutes, right? Set a timer, um, take a shower, watch a 20 minute, you know, um, show on Netflix or occupy yourself for 20 minutes and then come back and ask yourself, do I still want more? And if the answer is yes, it's another three chips, put the timer on 20 minutes, walk away. And so you're, you're actually allowing yourself to repeat this process. Some of my clients repeat it five times, six times, 10 times, right? And what it's doing is it's really helping you to build trust around that food. And eventually over time and practice, you can just have those three chips and walk away. And when you come back, the answer is nah, I'm good. That satisfied the craving. I, I really don't need anymore. Um, and then it's just so much, um, so much more calm on our, on our body. Um, and so that's the strategy that I share with clients and it really does work and it works fast. Interesting. I'm going to have to try that next time. I'm like really craving chocolate. I could eat the whole bar, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. with the, okay. Cause I'm just thinking for myself or for my clients who in that meantime, so we'll have the sweet or the salty, whatever it is that they love. And then let's say they go watch a show for 20 minutes. A lot of the times that unconscious habit when you're watching a show is to just like keep your hands occupied and wanting Mm -hmm. to snack on those things like the chips or popcorn, whatever it is. And so oftentimes I know my clients will just like sit there and be like, I can't even watch the show. I just need to like, now all I can think about is having that food. So in that case, would you suggest something like going outside for a walk or just, yeah. So what would you Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so individual. Um, If you're working with a client who has kind of habit stacked that when I sit down and watch Netflix, I eat, right. And it's so common, right. Like go to the movies, there's popcorn, right. So it's such a common habit that a lot of us have. And so if that's one of the obstacles, then for that client, I would invite them to take a walk, breath work, really be present because that tuning out, which I'm sure we'll dive into today, that tuning out is is uh, when it's a slippery slope, right? Because that's when uh, you you start to lose touch with your hunger cues. And so I would recommend a different strategy. Yeah. Okay. And would you say that emotional eating is a form of food addiction or how else would you describe it? Oh, that's a really great question. I think it varies from person to person. When 
we look at our relationship with food, it's often a reflection of the relationship that we have with ourselves. And knowing that emotional eating is a behavior, I'd be more interested in learning more about what this behavior is teaching the person, right? Is it teaching more patience or letting go of perfectionism? And I I worked with a client who felt that she had a sugar addiction. And the more that I got talking to her about her struggles with this and with her weight and got to know her life story a little bit more, when we would talk about sugar and candy and chocolate, her face would actually light up. And it became clear to me that sugar was something that she really looked forward to. She found pleasure in it. And when she would have it, like that was where a lot of joy was coming from. So I understood why she found it hard to just stop eating sugar because that would have also taken away that joy and that pleasure for her. So yes, of course, there were blood sugar issues, there were gut issues, you know, from a food science perspective, but at the root of what was going on, she needed to start to create the life that she found more pleasure in than sugar more adventure, right? Day trips, more time with like-minded people, more connection, more intimacy. These were all things that she was really craving. And so I think when emotional eating is coming up, instead of restricting harder, right? And, And we hear it so often, like kick the sugar habit, like just stop. For some people that will work. It won't work for everyone. I always invite clients to ask themselves, what is this teaching me? And often it's about finding more meaning when there is an element of food addiction or sugar addiction. Or I've had many clients who start working with me and they tell me, you know, I'm a chocoholic. And so (laughs) when I hear that, I'm like, okay, let's dive deeper into this, right? Like what, what are you getting out of eating chocolate? Like, what does it make you feel? And so when we're looking for more meeting, something to really live for, um, until that happens, we often see that we turn to food, we turn to alcohol, we turn to drugs, we turn to shopping, social media, right? <clears throat> to take place of that excitement for us. And if I sense addiction coming up, like when I'm working with clients, I, I like them to not only work with me, but also with a therapist because as I mentioned, a lot of this stuff, when we look at our relationship with food, it's often a reflection of the relationship we have with ourselves. And some of the stuff can run really deep. And um, yeah, a lot of the clients that I've worked with, um, emotional eating is coming up because they're just needing to learn more patience, more forgiveness, more awareness, slowing down, letting go of that self-attack that comes up a lot. Um, with the eating behavior, right? Having more boundaries. So that's just a few, but there's so much more. Yeah. And I would love to learn more about some of the different emotional reasons why we eat, whether it's stress or boredom, sadness, anything like that. What are some of the big ones of, of why we do? Yeah. That's a really great question. Yeah. Stress eating. Um, Stress eating is a common one. Um, Eating when we're lonely, not necessarily alone, but when we're feeling lonely. 
eating when bored is a big one. Um, I see that a lot with um, just mindless snacking, uh, just having it in front of you and just picking away at it. Um, and using food to regulate our emotions is something that we learn from a very young age. You know, think about if you see a crying baby, right? As soon as they are fed, they relax into it, right? So this is something that starts so early on in life. We learn that when we don't feel good, we don't really know why we don't feel good as a baby. We just know we don't feel good. Um, and then we eat food and then we feel better, right? It's so simple. We don't feel good. Then we eat, then we feel better. So it's no surprise that as adults, we start to see that, Hey, we do carry some of that forward and a lot of it forward because food then becomes comfort. It becomes happiness. It can become love. So it, it makes complete sense that even as adults, we may still emotionally eat. And it's okay to dislike the behavior now that we are adults, right? But it's so important to understand that because we are all emotional beings, it's natural that when you feel bad, you're wired to eat food because you will feel better. Think about um, how you typically celebrate a milestone. What do you do? Celebrate with food, cake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what about spending the holidays? Oh yeah. All the desserts, overeating, filling your plate. Yeah. Going to the movie theater or even just watching a movie at home. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Snacks yeah. always. <laughs> so yeah, there's usually food involved. So it's, it's no surprise that we have wired pleasure emotions to food. And so this, all this wiring and our emotional connection to food, tying in pleasure and fun, celebration, even reward, right? Um, I was working with a client recently and her struggle was, uh, she works from home and her struggle was, it was as soon as she closed the laptop on a Friday, it was just automatic, go to the fridge. Like, oh, I made it through the work week. I'm like, and I did so well. And now I deserve right? So um, yes, it can get out of hand and it can become problematic, but it's so important to understand that it's a completely natural thing to occur, right? It's just something that we have learned. And as we mature and as we start to um, develop healthier habits and learn how to regulate our own emotions, we can start to move those emotions without turning to food. Okay. So in those cases, then what do you suggest? Because now we've kind of tied that food and those happy yeah. emotions together. So now do we go to the movies and not get popcorn or because once you pay for it, you're <laughs> stuck with that big thing of popcorn. So it's like, do you eat a little bit and then close it up and bring it home? Or like, how do we cope with these things that, you know, do we not? Yeah. What do we, cause we're bound to have cake and stuff when we have a birthday. And, and so absolutely. Yeah. What do you absolutely. suggest? So one of the things that I suggest with any kind of events or any kind of um, like going to the movies, anything like that, I suggest having something before you go. 
also a protein packed smoothie so that you don't feel starving when you get there. So that when you're looking at all of the options, you're again in that place of control. The food doesn't control you. So there is this emotional side where we're connecting to food, but there is also the nutrition science side, right? The blood sugar regulation, just making sure that your body is supported. And nine times out of 10, I would even say 10 times out of 10. If you go to the movie theater and you're starving, you're eating whatever is available in whatever quantities. Because if you're under eating at some point, your body is going to be screaming hungry. So I would say make sure that you do what's called a protein preload before you go. And then your body is in a more supported place when you get there. And then you can make your own decision. Yeah, I like that. Filling up on protein, then you can actually take a minute (laughs) to think, okay, am I actually hungry? Or am I just craving this? Or or how you feel? Something we were just talking about is having snacks. Let's say my partner and I love movie date days or date nights and we'll always get snacks. So something sweet, something salty. And then Mm -hmm. if we don't portion out in the bowl, if we just happen to open the bag and, you know, mindlessly eat while we're watching. And then all of a sudden it's like, we finish the tub of ice cream, we finish the bag of chips. And then I feel horrible. I'm like, why did I do that? Not only like physically do I feel horrible, just, you know, bloating, not well, because I don't eat it very often. And I totally just overindulge. And then mentally, I feel bad because I just ate all of that. So what do we do when we're in this horrible cycle of emotional eating where it's like, okay, I feel bad. And then I gain weight and I feel worse. And you're just going this horrible cycle of when I feel bad, I want food to comfort me. Yeah. No, that's a really great question. And lots of awareness on your part. (laughs) Um, You're right. It can feel really horrible if you're, for example, let's say, for example, you're eating really healthy. Perhaps you're on a nutrition plan. um, And then it could be something small, like what you said, like just having a movie night, or it could be something bigger, like um, the loss of a loved one. Um, you find yourself just not really wanting big salads, right? All you want is comfort food. And what follows, as you said, is guilt, shame, and this kind of dialogue like, oh, I know better. Like, why do I keep doing this to myself? And I would say every client that I've worked with in the um, weight loss um, pocket of nutrition, um, Every client that I've worked with has felt the same way, guilty after overeating. And it usually goes something like this. The first bite is incredible. (laughs) And then we eat it as quickly as possible. Have you ever noticed that? It's like we don't really slow down and really savor it. We end up eating it, like inhaling it almost. And afterwards, we feel like we failed or that, you know, we've been bad. This is some one that I hear a lot. I can't tell you how many times I've heard clients say I was bad this week. And when I hear that, I really want to dive into that um, uh, mentality, that inner talk, like what, what is, what is going on there? Um, But that's a different part. What it is, is it's this false belief that food is the enemy and eating it is illegal. It's almost like it's this criminal act. 
And what happens when there's a criminal act, right? That there needs to be a judge. You know, we need to punish that person, right? That's typically like what's going on in our mind. And we become the punisher. We become that judge um, for this, you know, illegal action, right? And what comes is that the harsh words, the self-hate, the self-attack. And I often see clients just get so restrictive after this happens, like they might fast the next day or skip meals the next day or eat a lot lighter the next day or even over exercise to correct the behavior, right? And it's a terrible feeling. No one wants, uh, no one wants to feel like that. And in my opinion, no one deserves to feel like that. The guilt and shame isn't actually helping anyone, is it? Like when you feel that way after, you know, mindlessly snacking, you feel horrible. Like is, does the guilt and shame actually help you? No, it always makes you feel worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some people may argue, um, sometimes I always ask my clients this when, when the guilt and shame comes up, I'm like, does it help you? And, um, some people may argue that they need to punish themselves so that they get back on track. It's like, who else is going to correct it for them if it's not them? And my response to that is if you have to do that, I know it's, it's easier said than done to just tell someone to stop, you know, self-attacking when this happens and you're feeling horrible. Um, put a time limit on it. One minute, you know, whatever needs to come out, you know, put a timer on it and then forgive yourself, move on. I'm more interested in why the behavior is coming up and working with that than trying to get rid of it as soon as possible because getting rid of the behavior will come, but we have to first kind of figure out, okay, why? Why is it coming up? And kind of on that note, I would love if you could break down the difference between emotional hunger and true hunger. And how can we determine what state we're in? Yeah, yeah. So when you're experiencing a craving and you're not really sure if it's physical hunger or it is emotional hunger, that's the first part is actually interrupting the craving or the urge and asking yourself, is this physical hunger? And usually if it's physical hunger, like you might feel your stomach growling, you might even feel a little bit lightheaded. Um, you might feel a little bit dizzy. Everyone feels a little bit different when hunger strikes. Um, if you're experiencing a craving and you're like, you know what? I had breakfast today. I had lunch. I've had two snacks. I just had dinner. Like I actually feel quite full. Although, you know, the chocolate covered almonds are just calling my name. That is where the emotional hunger is starting to come up. And this is actually part of my coaching is connecting you back to your body because the clients that I've worked with, they've been on restrictive diets for a long time on and off of all these different kinds of diets. And it's very common to really just not know when you're hungry, what it feels like. Like when you're on diet plans, as I'm sure you know, 
there's like strict times, right? Like eat this at this time and then don't eat anything until that time. And so you start to associate the clock with when you eat versus when you're actually hungry. So connecting back to your body and starting to actually listen to, to when you're hungry. And one of the strategies that I share with clients is I get them to put reminders in their phone and then throughout the day, um, rate it at a one or two or a three, a one is I'm not hungry. I'm totally good. Like it's a level one. I just ate level two is I could eat, but I'm not starving. And a level three is like, I'm absolutely starving right now. And what it does is breaks that autopilot. So you can start to connect to your body a little bit more throughout the day. Um, because when you, when you're so used to being on plans that someone else has created for you, whether it's something you downloaded or you worked with a practitioner, um, we tend to say, oh, it's three o'clock, but my plan doesn't say I can eat at this time. So I'm just, even though I'm hungry, I'm just going to kind of push it until six. And then we overeat because we're starving by the time six o'clock comes around. So. Um, it's so, it's so important to connect back to your body. Um, and for some people, the emotional eating happens in the evening, you know, when all the obligations of the day are done and you get to take a sigh of relief. Um, that's typically for a lot of people when it starts to, uh, come up, but on the other side, I've also worked with clients who experience nighttime eating in the sense of they're skipping meals throughout the day, whether their work day was crazy and they didn't get a chance to take lunch. Um, and then dinner got pushed to 8 PM. And then they're wondering why they had such a massive dinner. And then they were snacking at nine, 10 o'clock at night. And it's really just going back to what we were talking about earlier, if you under eat in the first part of the day, at some point in the second part of the day, it's, you're going to be hungry. You know, under eating always drives overeating later on. So are you a big fan of three square meals a day, six meals a day, a big fan of breakfast? What's your typical philosophy? <laughs> Great question. So I work with each person and what they're open to. Right. Like I, I, if, if it was perfect for me, perfect scenario, I am a big fan of breakfast. I don't love skipping breakfast. It really does set the tone for the day. So making sure that you have a really good quality protein, <clears throat> healthy fats, fiber, um, that to me is so incredibly important for breakfast. So when I work with clients, yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I encourage them to start having breakfast. Um, and lunch, yes, dinner, and then one or two snacks. That's, that's typically what I recommend to clients. Everyone's a little bit different. Like I'm working with a client right now and, um, actually the goal is to, to put on weight. So um, I had her starting with, um, with four meals and two snacks and it was just too much. Like for her, like we started slow and she liked the idea and I liked the idea to start. 
And just with her work schedule, getting that extra meal in was just not happening. So then we switched it back to three meals, three snacks, and that works well for her. So I have a kind of guideline that I like to go by. And then judging by feedback that I get from each client, I'm always happy to tweak it and make it work for them. And another question I want to ask you, very common, something that happens is always wanting to have a little something sweet after each meal. So where does that come from? Why do we do it? And if someone wants to stop doing that behavior, how do we stop wanting that little something sweet after every single meal? So I want to ask why, like, what is what, why do you want that sweetness after dinner? And if it is habit, like I just, that's something that I I just need to have. I then, I also want to take a look at blood sugar and see if they're craving something sweet, if it's an energy kind of craving, like they're, and blood sugar control is what we need to focus more on. If it's habit and it's not energy related at all, then I like to transition over to a sweet tea in the evening, like something like a chai tea, something that is um, that is sweet so that it satisfies that sweet craving. And then <clears throat> getting some other kind of practice going <clears throat> in uh, in the evening. So it might be stretching, it might be going for a walk, something where you are changing the routine, because it's probably usually that something sweet after dinner, it's just a habit, it's a routine. Um, And so you cannot will your way out of an ingrained habit, right? And I hear this a lot, like, I just wish I had more willpower. Like after dinner, I have to have something sweet and I give in and it's just a cycle. And that's exactly what it is. It's a cycle and you just have to break it by doing something else. Now, if that is not working for the client, then I go to that exposure therapy. Okay, let's have one or two, walk away for 20 minutes and then come back, ask yourself if you want more. So it's really, all of this work is an unlearning of ingrained like neural pathways that we've created over the course of our life. Like for some people, it's years. For some people, it's decades. With the three chip rule, what if it's something like like a sweet or a brownie? Is it then a three bite rule? Or how do we use that rule across all different types of... (laughs) Good question. Good question. I would look at the size of it, right? If it's one of those like two bite brownies, I would have one and walk away. (laughs) Um, If it's like something larger, like a slice of cake or something, I would just go for like, let's have three bites, like with your fork and then put it down, put it back in the fridge, walk away for the 20 minutes, you know, do whatever that activity is and then come back. And most of most of my clients, they start with, you know, I went back five or six times for some of my clients, the most I've ever seen clients go back and forth for has been 10. And it dwindles down very quickly. Like it's it's very, it's very interesting. Once you allow yourself to fully 
have anything that you want, you, you kind of want it less, <laughs> which seems backwards, but it's really not. It's uh, it's very interesting. It's like, as soon as someone tells you, you can't do something, all you want to do is do it. And then when it's available to you at any time, there's I don't really want it. Yeah. I was just watching a video the other day on TikTok of, for some reason, a parenting video, which I don't have kids, but sometimes <laughs> even if it doesn't relate to me at all, I just watch it out of pure fascination. And it was around some, you know, different parenting styles when it comes to sweets and their kids, especially with Halloween coming up. And the, a lot of the parents were saying to have that stuff in the house because mm-hmm. then it's not a special food anymore. If you go to a birthday party and it's special, then of course you're going to want, you know, a lot of it because you only get it this one time. Whereas if it's just available in the house, you can have a little bit here and there and then it doesn't become that big of a deal. It's just this thing, you know, it doesn't have to become this big emotional. Absolutely. I I follow a few accounts on Instagram and funny enough, you know, I don't have kids either, (laughs) but it's just knowledge. Right. And I, and I, I love, I'm I'm a little bit nerdy in that sense. I just want to learn everything. Um, but there's this one in particular, this account that I follow and she puts together for her, for her sign, like, like a, one of those bento box kind of containers. And she always puts like, like three or four, um, like M&Ms or something in there combined with the protein packed and the fiber and, you know, the healthy fats. And so her son uh, like regularly has the sweets and just doesn't, sometimes she, she, when she shares it, um, in her story, she says, Sometimes he comes home and there's still the M&Ms, but all the other food is, uh, is eaten. And so I, I do agree with that, you know, allowing it to be in the house and it just, it's less special. It's, you're not putting these foods on a pedestal anymore. It's just all of the food is neutral. And, you know, we, you know, speaking from an adult perspective, we start to learn like, Ooh, my body doesn't feel so good when I eat that. Like maybe I don't actually want to eat that even though I have it in my cupboard. Right. And then we start to lean more into the foods that feel really good. And then when you're making your choices with what to eat, it's not from a perspective of lack anymore. Like, Oh, I wish I could eat those cookies. Right. But, Oh, my nutritionist said I can't have it. So I'm just one day, one day when I'm off this nutrition plan, I'll have it. Right. And then that's where we see this really kind of unhealthy dynamic going on with, um, with these types of foods. For sure. And I know nutrition advice can be very complicated because there's a study for everything and pretty much all contradict each other. (laughs) So And if someone is out there listening to this being like, okay, I could never eat something with food coloring or something with processed sugar, then how do we navigate that world of having this balance? But also because food coloring does not provide any nutritional value and highly processed foods do not provide any benefits. So what would you say in that case? It's a little bit of a different approach from like the emotional eating 
side of things. So that's, again, so individual to the person. If someone comes to me and they have a food allergy to food coloring or like gluten or dairy or, you know, any of those um, common food allergens, or even if it's not common, I'm obviously not going to have them to, you know, do exposure therapy with that. You know, it's just unfortunately one of those foods or types of foods that we're going to have to stay away from. Um, and, and it's from a health perspective, right? So I find that a lot of clients are actually a lot more receptive to that when there is a food allergy involved because they understand what it's going to do to their body when they have it. Um, whereas if it's coming from a, Oh, I can't have this because you know, it's, it's not good for me, but I really want it. And they can have it because it's not actually an allergy. I find that's where the waters are a little bit more muddy. Mm-hmm. And Switching gears a little bit, I was just talking with my mom the other day about what unserious generational trauma or curse or whatever are you breaking? And so we were just out to lunch and I like physically out to lunch, not (laughs) mentally. (laughs) So I asked her the question just out of curiosity and she said if she, so she'd accidentally drink a bunch of liquids before eating her meal and then just wasn't too hungry. And then her dad would always yell at her, like, finish your meal, finish your meal. Mm. So I'm curious if there's some sort of inner child or childhood trauma in relationship to emotional eating as adults. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great question. Knowing that emotional eating is a behavior, we can then identify that it's actually not our problem. Emotional eating is actually our solution. And what I mean by that is that at some point in your life, something happened and probably how you coped with how you felt was through food. So I like to remind my clients uh, and your listeners that it's okay to not like the emotional eating behavior. Yes, it can become problematic. It can feel out of control at times. But at some point in your life, you made a self-honoring decision to turn to food because all of what you were going through was too much. So I definitely think that there's a connection between childhood trauma and emotional eating. Um, And what I do in coaching is help my clients get to the root of what's causing the behavior. I'm not a therapist, so I don't go into the trauma healing with them myself. But I always recommend um, my clients to work with a therapist or a trauma-informed coach on the side because Yeah, absolutely. There's those two. Absolutely. There's a connection there. Yeah, I definitely agree. And in, so I want to talk about different short-term and long-term, whatever you want to call it, solutions or (laughs) so the short-term when someone has an urge or craving, is that where you would recommend the three chip or the three bite rule? Or is there anything else you would recommend for someone to do? That's what I recommend. 
I mean, the other, the other strategy that I have is called, um, the urge jar It's actually very common in, uh, in a lot of coaching practices. Are you familiar with the urge jar? I don't think so. Okay. I'm excited to share it with you then. Um, so with the urge jar, you have a Mason jar and you just go to the dollar store and pick up a container of pebbles or something, rocks, whatever. And anytime you are experiencing an urge or a craving, you pick up one of those pebbles or those rocks and you set a timer for 10 minutes and you breathe through it. This sounds so simple, but when you're in the height of an urge or a craving, it's a very difficult exercise to do. But what this is doing is connecting you back to your body and becoming comfortable in a very uncomfortable feeling, which is an urge or a craving, right? We live in a world that loves to turn to distractions, right? You feel uncomfortable here, do this. You feel uncomfortable here, do that, right? There's distractions everywhere and our phones are, right? You are standing in an elevator with a bunch of people like your phone doesn't work in an elevator. What are you doing? (laughs) But we're all scrolling because we feel uncomfortable in this like box with you know, four other people, and we don't want to make eye contact with them. So we're distracting ourselves with the phone. So this urge jar exercise is training you and teaching you to become more comfortable in this nothingness in this almost like this void, right? And we always want to fill the void with something because it doesn't feel good. Um, but that's, you know, there's that exposure therapy exercise that I talked about earlier today. But then there's also the urge jar, which I actually find it to be harder. It's less steps, you know, you're really just grabbing a pebble and holding on to it and focusing on your breathing, you know, in for five through your nose. And then out through five, through your mouth. And like, even just doing that, your nervous system just settles. And so if you do that for 10 minutes, it's each, it's kind of like you're hacking your nervous system a little bit. It's like, oh, like usually, you know, uh, when we breathe like this, we're feeling calm and relaxed. So I guess we're going to be calm and relaxed right now. And the more that you practice um, in the short term, like how to actually deal with that uncomfortable feeling with the urge the more you practice it on your own, when you go out to a family gathering, you go out to an event, you go out to a buffet, you go out to these places and you get a craving, you're actually just going to know how to regulate your nervous system already because you've been practicing it at home. And you just put the pebble in the jar (laughs) at the end. And then all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, 10 mason jars full of pebbles (laughs) But it's 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 a visual rep- representation of all of the work that you're putting into it, right? Like a lot of this kind of work, you don't really see progress until it just happens. Like one day, it's kind of just like a light bulb goes off and you're like, oh my gosh, I can handle this, right? And so having the urge jar exercise where you can actually see tangible results of like, oh my gosh, I've practiced this like, and I have all of these jars and look at me now. I can do all the things. 
it's in it's simple advice, but it's not easy advice because I know a lot of people will eat, like you said, to fill that void or to numb or whatever the the behavior is. So for someone who's like, okay, I just want to numb with food and now they have to sit in silence mm-hmm. with that feeling yeah. Yeah. is really, really hard. So for someone who's like, I don't think I could do that. Do you have advice, motivation, or would you suggest therapy to start to get comfortable with the uncomfortable feelings? Yeah. I mean, I always suggest therapy. That's I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of trauma-informed coaching. I'm a big fan of um, therapy for sure. Um, To start for that person that you just mentioned, um, I would say, let's not go right to the urge jar. Let's do the like... um, in, in that 10 minute time, you know, light a candle, staring at the candle, breathing for 10 minutes. So you have something to focus on, um, an Epsom salt bath for that 10 or 20 minutes, playing with an animal for 10, 10 or 20 minutes, um, listening to music, dancing, walking in nature. Um, if you have the ability to sit by water, doing breath work, um, listening to a podcast, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's like when you're turning to food to numb out, um it's the the first step would be to kind of replace what you're numbing out with. Like if you don't want to be numbing out with food, um, because you're you're not, you know, you're not okay with the behavior and you want to change, I would start by replacing the behavior. And then once you start replacing the behavior and you get comfortable with that then you can start to, okay, now I'm going to get really uncomfortable. (laughs) I'm going to get really comfortable with the uncomfortable and do this urge jar exercise. But to go, go back, you made a point about therapy. Um, It's important to remember, I know I mentioned this before, but emotional eating is not the problem. Um, It may be problematic towards a weight loss goal, for example, Um, but it's the solution to something deeper. Um, and I'm a big fan of therapy. I know, um, I've never done hypnosis, but I know quite a few practitioners that recommend it. Um, but somatic breath work, um, there's just so many different modalities and there's not one modality that I turn to. The bottom line is that trauma um, and energy gets stuck in the body and stored in the body and it has to be moved. And so for some people talking works well for others, um, you know, somatic breath work helps for others. Um, for me, for a long time, art was an outlet for me. Um, because I really, anytime I would go into therapy and, um, the therapist would ask me challenging questions. I just didn't have words to put to it. So actually getting, moving that energy through art and through breath work really helped for me um, until I was ready to talk more about it. So I'm not partial to any one particular modality, but I think that, you know, the work that I do with clients um, really works well with pairing it up with another kind of um, practice as well. And so some of those things you'd recommend more for long-term coaching with someone, some hand-holding, some other modalities. Is there anything else you'd recommend as a long-term strategy? Yeah, I think 
the first part, if emotional eating is coming up a lot, the first part is to work with that. And then once you have that under your belt and you feel a lot more in control of food, that's when I move clients into more of the nutrition science, which is a lot of what we talked about on the previous podcast with weight loss and metabolism and female hormones. Um, and you know, a lot of what we talk about today has nothing to do with that nutrition science really. Um, but it can make such a huge difference on your food choices and your ability to really come home in your body. And I think that it starts with looking beyond the food for answers first. And then when you feel ready, moving into more of the nutrition sciences, because it's going to stick then. Um, If you're trying to kind of navigate a nutrition protocol, and there's a lot of this emotional eating behavior that's coming up, it's just hard to stick to that protocol um, with so many obstacles, um, and so many moving parts. And what are some other feel good mechanisms or rewards that we can use (laughs) besides always going to food for comfort? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I asked this question to all of my clients, um, and it's different. So it's so important to reward yourself, whether it's like a milestone or, um, it's just so important to acknowledge all of the work that you're putting into it, whether it's your work or it's something personal. Um, I like to turn to turn the question over to the client and ask, what do you love to do, but don't do enough of? And so I want to turn it over to you because I have a few and I want to share them, but I want to ask you the question if that's okay. Yes. I ask this to my clients all the time. It's in my intake form. Like, what do you love to do for fun? And I find a lot of my clients, not a lot, but it, and it depends on the, yeah, the person, but the majority of people will just say, I don't know, or like Mm -hmm. traveling, which is something that you only do once in a blue moon. Right. And I'm like, no, what can you do every day or at least once a week? And, um, something I love to do for fun. I love going outside. I love hiking, swimming, which in Canada, I can't do outside all the time, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you could. You could do a a polar dip. (laughs) Yeah. A little freezing cold Wim Hof type ice dip. Yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah. I love going out to brunch, hanging out with friends. I do also love TV but I know that's not the best habit to always turn to, but shows and movies I do love. Reading also is a big habit for me. So what are some for you? Yeah, no, I know. And those are all really great answers. Um, I tend to turn to things that fill my cup up. And you mentioned something there, um, watching Netflix. And then you said, you know, this isn't always a healthy thing to do, but I actually think it can be, um, you know, obviously if we're binge watching a whole series for like eight hours in a day, absolutely. It's not the best, (laughs) not the best option. Um, but a lot of us work really hard. Like a lot of us, we spend a lot of time in this very serious energy, um, and we do really great work. And 
for us to sit in front of the TV and just laugh. Like that to me is a great reward. <laughs> um, but you know, so that that's my one comment on that one. But some of the things that I turn to for rewards um, are manicures and pedicures because I love having my nails done and I do it more in the summertime, but um, I'm not so regular with it. And so sometimes if there's something to celebrate, I will book myself manicure or pedicure or book myself a massage or a spa treatment, like something I don't normally do on the regular because that to me is like a celebration. It's, it's out of the mundane things that I do. Right. Um, the other thing is I, I crave adventure. So booking like a day trip to visit a new town and look at the, all of the little shops. I love doing that kind of stuff. So you said traveling and yeah, if it's a big trip, like, you know, we can't be doing that every weekend. I mean, some <laughs> of us I can, can yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would like to It'd be great to go to a beach, you know, every weekend, jump on a plane. Um, but that's not realistic for everyone. So just a day trip to a town that you haven't visited and, you know, visit all the local shops and, um, that's something, um, unplugging for an evening, just kind of putting my phone away. My husband always gives me a hard time with that one. He's like, why do you have a phone if you don't answer it? I'm like, I'm unplugging. It's my reward. <laughs> so uh, I hope some of those options help. But I do think it's really important to celebrate ourselves um, with milestones, but also just like we work so hard. We work all of us. You know, we, we just... Um, and it looks so different for everyone, right? If you're a parent, you know, it looks different. Um, if you're working like 40 plus hours, um, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, that looks different. But like bottom line is we all work really hard. So it's so important to reward ourselves and training ourselves to start to reward ourselves less with food. And, you know, if it's a birthday, absolutely. Let's go out to dinner and celebrate. But the key part is to not always celebrate with food. It's like, you know, picking and choosing your celebrations and how you want to reward yourself. With a lot of the holidays coming up, <laughs> there's American mm -hmm. Thanksgiving coming up. There's, you know, Christmas, yeah. New Year's, all that is coming up. Do you have any tips for someone who does tend to emotionally eat? Do you have any tips for all these events and gatherings, birthdays? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I mentioned was a protein preload. Absolutely. That's something, you know, even if it's a protein smoothie, um, for example, half a cup of berries, scoop of protein powder, a um, little bit of avocado in there, some ground flax for fiber, some greens, you know, blend it all up with some almond milk um, and, uh, and some ice. And then that's a really great protein preload before going so that you're not starving. So what ends up happening is um, if you, the old mentality was save your calories until you get there. That was a, you know, something that we grow, grew up hearing. Um, and 
in theory, again, it sounds like it would work, but it just doesn't. It doesn't work for our bodies, our metabolism, blood sugar. We end up getting to the event and like we're so starving that we end up overeating the appetizers and then, you know, two plates of food. And, you know, it just becomes a little bit crazy, right? Um, But one of the scenarios that might resonate, like this comes up a lot, um, but for, for clients that I talk to, Um, you know, you enter the house and the first thing you notice is the smell of like chocolate brownies, like hot out of the oven. And you might be thinking, oh my God, I've been so good on my eating, on my diet. I haven't had any desserts in weeks. I really want one of these brownies, but I shouldn't. That like shouldn't part. Because if I have one, then I'm going to blow the whole thing. I'm going to gain weight. And then it's like game over for me. We always end up eating the brownie, (laughs) especially if we're hungry, like we always end up eating it. Um, Then what happens is the guilt, right? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I know better. I always do this. I have no willpower around brownies. I'm so stupid. Um, And when we feel like that, what I notice is common is we end up just throwing in the towel and being like, well, I already cheated. I don't like that word, by the way, but it's relatable for a lot of people. Um, I already cheated, so I might as well just eat the whole plate, right? So it's definitely a slippery slope. So first thing is a protein preload for sure. Um, don't skip any meals. Um, you know, have your breakfast as you normally would, you know, treat the day leading up to the dinner, treat it as any other normal day, have your breakfast, Um, you know, if your breakfast is at 6am, I recommend doing a morning snack because that's a long time to go to lunch without eating anything. If you have breakfast at like nine, you can probably make it till 12. You probably won't need a snack. And then a really good quality lunch with protein, fats, fiber. I always love leafy greens, anywhere you can throw those in, pack them in there. Afternoon snack is a great time for that protein preload smoothie. And then when you get to the dinner, fill half of your vegetable, half of your vegetables, half of your plate with vegetables, and then put your protein source on there and then put a healthy fat on there. And usually there's sauces and stuff like that. Um, And then always put your food on a plate because if we just kind of like, oh, I'm going to go have a bite here, I'm going to have a bite here and a bite here, we kind of forget how much we've actually had. So carry around a plate with you and then you can actually see everything that you're eating. Um, And when you are feeling in that place of control and that place of power, that's where you can make those well-informed decisions for yourself. And if that decision is to have the brownie, then have the brownie. Right. I'm such a big fan of the 80 20 rule. Um, If you can be like, you know, kind of switching gears a little bit and talking, you know, referring more to the nutrition science side of things and metabolism, if you can be on plan 80% of the time, then 20% of the time, your body will know how to troubleshoot. Your body will be able to handle this brownie that you want, this birthday cake that you want. Like I see this all or nothing mentality so often, especially when there are holidays coming up. And so I just like, 
do the best you can to be 80% on your program and then 20% for, you know, troubleshooting. And then of course, if, if you're working with a client who, um, you know, you're on a digestive protocol that might look a little bit different, but just from a like weight loss perspective, um, emotional eating perspective, like that would be my approach. You mentioned some old dieting trends. <laughs> now I'm curious, are there any that you just do not like or any that you have to undo with clients of any old dieting mentality you just mentioned all or nothing or that okay I have to starve until I get to this event and then I can allow myself quote unquote to have the brownie are there any others where you're like oh I just don't like this yeah, it, that's a good question. Those are probably the top two for sure is the the all or nothing mentality. I really have to break that one down. And it it's not something that is quick. It's something absolutely that takes time. Um, the saving your calories for dinner, that's a big one. I have to unlearn with my clients. Interestingly enough, um, I don't love intermittent fasting. I know it works for some people, but I see in in the clients that I work in I work with and in my niche, I just don't see intermittent fasting working that well. And I know the science, the studies around it and I understand it, it makes sense for some people. The clients that I work with, it just doesn't work that well. So that's probably when one of the things that I turn less and less to, um, and just more of that regular, you know, I don't think you need to eat every two or three hours. I think you can absolutely go like three, four, even five hours in between meals. If you're eating enough of the right foods in your meal times, um, you know, I think there was, there was a, a trend several years ago that was like, eat every two hours to keep your metabolism up. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) Um, So that's another one that I've had to kind of coach clients through to unlearn. Um, Yeah, those are probably the ones that come to mind the most. What about you? What have you had to coach through to unlearn? Oh my, I mean, I know in the 70s the fat was really bad and so a lot of um, clients that I've coached previously of all different age now I mostly focus on 20s and 30s who have a totally different mentality but yeah the fat was bad that was a big one and a lot of my clients specifically have to undo a lot of things related to their mother and how their mother ate or if their mom commented on what was on their plate or how they were eating there's a lot of that that, you know, is now subconscious. I was also reading an article the other day just about tips for, you know, people in their 20s to stay healthy. And this article was from, I want to say it was from 2017 and it was either the New York Times or one of those. It was Washington Post or something like that. And I was shocked at the advice that they were the very first tip for people in their 20s to stay healthy. The very first tip was to weigh yourself every day. (laughs) Yeah, that used to be a popular one. (laughs) Whoa, yes. And then what was the other one? There was something else. And then I also read a book by Brian Tracy, who's very knowledgeable. And um, it was about just... 
uh, what was it? Tips for entrepreneurs or something like that. I can't remember. It was very short. It was one hour. So I was just listening to it on audio and it was 21 tips for something entrepreneur or millionaire. I was like, great. I'll just read it just to see what the 21 Mm -hmm. tips are. And yeah, some of them were just so old school and it's just crazy how we've moved past this. One of the ones was about nutrition and weight loss. And I can't remember what the advice was, but I was like, whoa, we do not do that anymore. We have totally learned that's an unhealthy behavior and habit. And yeah, there's a lot of those that we have moved on from, but a lot of people still especially our age group, grew up with Seventeen Magazine and things like that. And if you go through the old magazines, again, the the advice to watch your calories or whatever it is for us as teens when we were 12, 13, 14, just too young to be on these diets and stuff like that. I just thought of another one as, as you were talking. I definitely agree with the um, – that's another one I have to help my – clients unlearn is the weighing themselves every day. Yeah. Like that's just, it's not, not a healthy behavior at all. That's one. And then the other one, um, that came to me as you were uh, talking was over exercising. Like I have had to tell so many clients to actually slow down their exercising because like, and it's, it's actually incredible to see I say, let's just try it for two weeks. Instead of working out every day, I want you to work out three days and I want you to walk every day. Minimum of 6,000 steps. If you can get 10,000, great, but minimum 6,000 steps every day for two weeks and work out for three days, strength training. Let's just do that. And the weight comes off. And those moments to me are like gold because I don't have to convince them. Like I just, let's try it. And if it doesn't work, we can go back to your way, but let's try my way, you know, less exercise. And, um, and because as I'm sure you, your, um, this comes up in your coaching too, but you know, when your body's in such a stressed out state and, and exercise is a great thing for our bodies, but to what extent, right? Like some of my clients have come to me where they're spending like one or two hours doing cardio every day at the gym. And I'm like, oh my goodness, your poor adrenals. And so getting them to actually like slow down and, uh, that's a big one, getting clients to slow down. Yeah. Especially when, Working out can also become an addiction as well when you start to see results and then you just, yeah, you just kind of fall in love with it. But you can definitely take it to an extreme where we need to slow down and get out of that stress state. And in summing everything up, all this great advice, (laughs) if you could put it into like your top three tips just to simplify for everyone, what would be your like top three tips? Okay. So it actually builds. I have one. I'm sorry. I've got one. And because all of my tips, I think I sprinkled throughout, but I have one that I haven't talked about. And um, it's just learning how to relax, like just being okay with slowing down, like 
when clients are experiencing um, an emotional eating binge, they tend to, and you know, this was my struggle too. Like this was, this was a big, this whole topic was my struggle with weight loss. It was like, I knew all the things I, you know, went to school. I was a personal trainer and I was a yoga teacher and all the facts I knew. And it was so frustrating for me because it's like when life is good, I'm good and I'm good on my nutrition plan and there's no issues. But when things get turned upside down and I'm really going through a hard time, every logical thing that I know goes out the window. And it's like very frustrating because it's like, why, like, you know, I'm so smart in so many areas of my life. Why can't I get there with this part? And so like slowing down and really dropping in and not tuning out, right? Just staying conscious, stay present. Don't tune out when an urge or a craving strikes. Don't abandon yourself. Breathe, right? Like really slow down. If you're going to choose to, you know, if you're in the height of an emotional eating craving and you choose to eat the food, fine, do it but do it slowly because aren't you craving, let's say the brownie, aren't you craving the brownie because you just want that pleasure. But if you're eating it so quickly, like it's like this uh, like criminal act, if you're eating it so quickly, are you actually getting the pleasure out of it? Like if you're going to choose to eat the food, enjoy it, like slow it down, relax into your body, breathe and don't tune out. So that's probably, I know, I know that's not three, but that's probably my number one is to just break that autopilot and stay here, stay here. Don't tune out. Amazing. And one thing that my listeners absolutely love is book recommendations. So do you have okay. oh. book recommendations on the topic of emotional eating? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Oh my gosh. I've got, uh, I got so many books. Um, okay. So because emotional eating, there is such a big, um, psychology piece to it and psychology of eating. Um, I recommend two books for more of that side. Um, expectation hangover by Christine Hassler. It's a great one for perfectionism, for working with a lot of um, that inner talk and that self-attack and really dealing with expectations. Um, And How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicole LaPera. That's a great, great one. Now, in terms of the actual um, behavior of uh, of eating, um, Intuitive Eating is a great book by Evelyn Tribble and Elise Resch. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name, um, but it's R-E-S-C-H. Um, that's a great one. And then The Slow Down Diet by Mark David. Those are uh, those are really great books from an emotional eating perspective. Um, and then the other two books are just self-growth, really helping um, to 
do that inner work that is just essential. I'm going to have to add some of those to my Goodreads and my TBR. (laughs) um, (laughs) As usual, it's been lovely to have you on and you're so knowledgeable. And I know you do this work day in, day out, and we always learn best from our clients. And so you've just built up all this knowledge and this great advice that you are able to share with us today. So just sending you lots of gratitude and appreciation for sharing. And where can everybody find you and connect with you? Absolutely. And it's been a pleasure. I feel like we always have such great conversations. (laughs) We could probably do a three-hour podcast, (laughs) but we won't. We'll we'll respect everyone else's time. Um, Yeah. The best place to find me on Instagram, um, it's at wellbalancehealth. Um, and then feel free to email me. I love receiving emails and keeping the conversation going. My email is lisa at wellbalancehealth.com. And I'll just share a little piece of news that no one knows about yet. <laughs> um, everything we talked about today, I coach clients through in my emotional eating program. Um, the next round is kicking off on January the 8th. And it's a private coaching program. It's not a group program. It's one-to-one. And over the course of four months, I coach you through urges, moving emotions without turning to food, how you can build more self-trust with food, more trust with yourself. We'll work through perfectionism. Um, We'll start to rewire and rewrite that self-talk, having more patience, so much more. Um, My clients, after completing this program, learn how to navigate the emotional behaving, um, the emotional eating behavior. So they can finally see weight loss results because it's an obstacle, right? And once you get that under your belt, that's when you can start to have more more control and you can stay more consistent and you can maintain, right, without the ups and downs um, and finally get out of that self-attack, the self-judgment and have more peace with food. So if uh, any of your listeners are interested in jumping in on the next round that's starting on January 8th, Again, it's one-to-one, but all of my programs always start on the first of, um, or the first week of every month, but because of New Year's, I'm going to push it to the eighth. (laughs) Um, So please just send me an email and I'd be happy to get, uh, get you all set up if that interests you. Amazing. We'll leave that all below in the show notes where everyone can find you, connect with you and sign up for the program. Fantastic. Well, if there's anything I've learned in the last five years of working in this industry of nutrition, it's that a lot of us, if not all of us, have quite the complicated relationship with food, whether it's something we grew up learning or we learned recently or we were influenced online or from friends or family or whatever it is, and it's an ever-evolving relationship. And a lot of this information is so great. And if some of it doesn't apply to you, then it doesn't apply to you. The same thing's not going to work for every single person, in which case then, of course, seek out some one-on-one care so you can really get to know yourself and what works for you specifically. With that being said, I am taking on a couple more clients before the end of the year. I have just a couple spots left. So if you've been wanting to balance your hormones, get your period back, clear up your skin, definitely reach out to me. You can also schedule a free 15 minute call as well. If you just want to see what the program would be about and see if I can point you in the right direction. 
And if you're not ready for one-on-one, if you just want to dip your toe in and start learning, I have tons of online courses and eBooks and functional testing. And if there's something that I don't offer that you want to see, then send me a message. But thank you so much for listening into this episode. If you liked it, feel free to share it with a friend. You can subscribe, rate, or view the podcast for more health, wellness, and lifestyle tips. I'm on Instagram at Nutrition Moderation, online at NutritionModeration.com. I truly hope you have an amazing day wherever you are, and I'll chat with you very soon.